Hello, and welcome back to Franklin Covey's On Leadership series. I'm Scott Miller, and I serve as your weekly host and interviewer. Today, I'm honored to introduce and welcome to the set the president of national business for AT&T and a member of Franklin Covey's board of directors, Ann Chow. Ann, welcome. Hey there, thanks. So glad you came in, and from Dallas, I believe. Yes, that's right. So the welcome weather's today. a little bit different there. It's a lot different today, right? Mm -hmm. I think I had a foot and a half of snow on my car this morning. Yeah, I wore shorts and flip-flops this weekend, that's, sorry. That's nice, I'm jealous <laughs> of that. This morning I was out snow blowing the, the snow off my wife's car. Oh, I see. I, I, snow blowing as like a leaf blower. Yes, no, I, we used to have one, believe me, when we yeah. lived on the East Coast, but we were happy to give it away. I think my, my neighbors weren't appreciative of the snow blowing on the car at oh, five o'clock this morning. Oh, it's necessary. Yeah, welcome today. Thank you. Honored you're here. You have a unique portfolio hmm. because you are a, a classic, I would say, business leader, right? Hmm. You have enormous responsibility at AT&T. You have ultimate stewardship over close to 12,000 uh, colleagues. You manage the P&L and the responsibility for nearly $13 billion of business. Mm -hmm. How long have you been with AT&T? So I've been with AT&T for 28 and a half years. Wow. And it has gone by in a blink of an 28 eye. 28 and a half mm -hmm. years. 23 years almost here at Franklin Covey. <laughs> That's like, wonderful. Like me, I'm, imagine, I'm guessing you've reinvented yourself a couple times along the way. Over and over and yeah. over, for how, sure. How many careers within AT&T? Well, one of the reasons why I actually have stayed at AT&T, I suspect it's very similar to why you stayed at Covey, is that it has always been changing. So it's mm -hmm. never been boring. Yeah. So in those 28 and a half years, I've had 16 different jobs. Right. So I'm on my 16th job right. and my 25th boss. Wow. So I can absolutely say that I'm a student of much of the content and much yeah. of the lessons that is portrayed up here on these amazing walls. Yeah, I can relate. This. I think Franklin Covey has probably undergone at least three or four mm. significant maturations over the two decades I've been here. And Certainly. what a great career we've had to be able to keep our career within one firm, but feel like we've been in multiple, multiple. companies. For sure. That's for right. Sure. I, I start most of these interviews with understanding the person's journey, because mm -hmm. I think it's so valuable for our subscribers to know kind of how did you get from there to here? So spend a few minutes and walk us through what it's been like for you in your career. Yeah, sure, of course. So um, in order to understand my career, you've got to a little bit understand my backstory. Okay. So I'm actually a second generation American. My parents immigrated to this country from Taiwan in the 60s. I and see. so they drilled into my brother and I a passion for education. Mm -hmm. But they also wanted us to be holistic, comprehensive leaders, if you will. And so um, they had us uh, do music and sports and all kinds of things. So I actually went to the Juilliard Pre-College School of Music while wow. I was going through wow. high school and junior high. Um, then I decided that was not for me anymore. Um, so then I went to college and I have a bachelor's and master's degree in electrical engineering and an MBA. Um, and I entered the workforce, technical I would say first, um, in my first job at AT&T, which was out of business school. And from there, I knew almost immediately that I wanted a career in technology, but I wanted, this is gonna sound a little cliche, but that I wanted a, a role um, and a path that involved a lot of people. You sure, know, I wanted yeah. to make sure that I had an opportunity to influence people, work with people, collaborate with people. Which and isn't that is, typical for an yeah. engineer necessarily, is it? Yeah, no, it, it really isn't. And yeah. I was fortunate early on to have a series of different work assignments in the summers and in the winters, because my parents, of course, in, you know, infused in us a huge work ethic. Mm -hmm. um, and so I realized that R&D was not the place for me. Uh, PhD, sadly, to my parents' chagrin, was also not the route for me. So that's why I chose business school, because it really gave me a very different frame of reference on business and also affirmed that I had a real passion for people. You kind of copped out. Yeah, I did I'm cop out. I, yeah, I totally <laughs> yeah, did cop I'm out. Kidding. But, uh, you know. Now, you mentioned along the way that yeah. you did a stint at Juilliard, which means you've got some 
talent beyond just left brain engineering. You were yeah. either you were a singer or an actress or an instrument player. What was the draw to Juilliard? Yeah. So, um, so I was a musician. I was a classical musician. I okay. played classical piano. Wow. And um, so I went to Juilliard, which meant the schlep into New York City. Yeah. We lived in New Jersey yeah. for seven years. Um, and it was, was a wonderful, highly disciplined experience is right. what I would say. So you said you you played classical yeah. piano. Yeah. You didn't say you're playing it. No. I, in, in actuality, once I left that chapter of my life, which was after high school, I no longer play. And a lot of people find that odd. Here's really the reason why. I remember how good I once was, um, and I am no longer even close to that good. So I just... I can't even stand myself. Yeah. Doesn't mean that I didn't make my kids play piano. I did. You did. And they still do? Um, one of them does, yes. Yeah. You gave them permission to quit when they wanted to. Yeah. Maybe not. They're not watching this. <laughs> no, that's right. Uh, yeah. And you also are a member of the Franklin Covey Board of Directors. I am. And so people like you that have you know, strong executive mm -hmm. careers, it's not unusual to have yourself on several boards. Yeah. How did you choose to join, of all the opportunities you could have, the board of directors for Franklin Covey? Yeah, so Franklin Covey um, was an, a great opportunity for me, and it is actually my great honor and privilege to be part of this board. The way that I selected it um, was, was, I mean, it was very mutual, as, as life is. It's really all about relationships. Mm -hmm. And so through another board member, um, I learned of the opportunity, got to meet you and Bob and the mm -hmm. rest of the management right. team. Um, felt great chemistry in terms of leadership style. Um, I am a person and a leader who believes that culture trumps everything. Mm -hmm. um, and it was clear to me that this company is one that was built on not only its own culture, but built on ensuring that um, we do our great work to have great cultures all around That's us. Right. And so yeah. um, it, it couldn't be a more perfect match, yeah. at least in my, um, from my standpoint. Well, I think I agree because mm -hmm. how great it is to have board members yeah that are as passionate about our mission and our expertise as you are. It's a great mm -hmm. fit. Yeah, for sure. And in fact, I would call myself a student. So when I yeah. had the opportunity to consider being part of the board here, I was already a student of, of course, I went through Seven Habits early on in my, you know, in my professional career. I'm a huge uh, you know, disciple almost of speed of trust. And so I feel so strongly about many of the lessons and much of the content that um, you know, Covey has become known for in a lot of the, the principles. Well, it's an honor to have you here. Oh, thank I you. I won't quiz you in the seven habits. I'll okay, that's you, okay. I'll give yeah. you a pass Please don't, on please that. don't, please don't. Our yeah. topic today, our discussion is going to be yeah. about one of your passions, mm -hmm. this theme of authentic leadership. Yeah. Before I go there, I'd like you to talk a little bit about the role that a board member has in an organization. Sure. Every day you open the paper and you see another CEO that's either defrauded a company or has not behaved in alignment with their values. Yeah. And these board positions are enormously important mm -hmm. in, in terms of oversight and governance, but also you know, setting the model and the standard, right, for mm -hmm. the organization. Talk for those people who may not be sure. as close to a board member as I had the chance. Sure. What's the role and, and, and how serious do you take it? And what's the value? Um, so, so the value in my mind is, is significant. I've served on numerous boards throughout my career, mostly nonprofit um, as well as other organizations. And the role of the board is extremely strategic. Uh, the, the board serves the shareholders to the extent it's a public company, mm -hmm. serves membership to the extent that it's not, um, or the constituency in which the organization serves. Uh, but largely, the board also serves in support of the leader and the CEO. Mm -hmm. um, so we provide strategic input, strategic guidance, uh, support, as you mentioned, oversight right, um, and governance. There are appropriate checks and balances, of course, mm -hmm. being a publicly traded mm -hmm. company. So a huge part of the board's responsibility is fiduciary in mm -hmm. nature. Mm -hmm. um, and so you know, that ranges from 
traditional measures as it relates to how we think about our financial performance, right, right. but it also can even extend into um, areas like risk, um, you know, whether it's cybersecurity risk or otherwise, right, mm -hmm. or uh, cultural risk, mm -hmm. if you will. So the, the, the role of the board really um, is extremely critical, which is why I think the fit to the, my earlier point about culture is so, so, so important. And I'm guessing as a, as a board member of a public company, you have to calibrate how involved you get, even though you're kind of responsible for everything ultimately. Yes. I mean, just recently, this last week, we had a, a major multinational company where the CEO was ousted. Right. And accused of some pretty serious things. That's right. And it feels like maybe some of the board members suspected and some didn't. I mean, what, what insight would you share with our subscribers around the role that board members play in that balance of not managing the company, but also being responsible for the behavior of the CEO and the executive team. Yeah, for sure. Well, what I will say is, um, you know, you, you characterized me in the opening as a kind of had a classic leadership uh, career path, uh, I think were your words. And so uh, for me, I think one of the greatest joys of being part of this board has been the balance of not getting too operational, right, which mm -hmm. is probably counterintuitive to somebody like me who is you know, very active in the workforce and Engineer running, right, running my own PL and my own right. large operations, having run them around the globe um, and around the country, to really elevate into a much more strategic um, position, if you will. Um, the role of the board I can't emphasize enough is, um, I mean, it's fiduciary in, in nature. It's, it's eth you know, it's ethically based. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, in, in any board uh, CEO, ch you know, chairman relationship, you've got to have the utmost trust um, and transparency, right? And so I think those dynamics are incredibly critical, especially in, the, in this day and age. And, you know, technology being in tech and having, you know, had a career in tech thus far over the last almost three decades, technology is changing everything now, right? So it is changing the way that we even communicate um, together, whether it's with our employees, with our shareholders, with our customers, with our partners, or otherwise. AT&T is my mobile phone provider, just so you know. Thank you for you your business. My business. We greatly yeah, my appreciate wife. it. <laughs> too, exactly. Let's get into authentic leadership. Sure. Uh, what does that mean to you? Mm -hmm. So I would say that for me, one of my hallmarks as a leader, um, you know, if you were to ask anyone who's worked with me closely to describe me in three words, five words, um, I would hope, and I've actually done this test before as well, if you will, if you will kind of the word cloud kind of yeah, thing, yeah. Um, you know, authentic always comes out. Um, and so for me, it's really been the hallmark of my career. And so for me, what it means is that you can be you. In fact, uh, you know, I've written blogs that are that are entitled, and one of my kind of uh, uh, taglines is uh, "Be real, be true, be you." Right. And it is really all about how to, you know, how to bring out the greatness in yourself. And again, you can see here the alignment of my own personal leadership mission with the alignment of Franklin Covey's mission, if you will. Another great fit. Um, and how do you? realize your greatest potential um, in all sorts of ways. And, and when I say be your authentic self, it's really about understanding your strengths, um, understanding where you came from, understanding what your weaknesses are and, and where you want to, you know, where you want to go with that. You know, recently a past guest was Eric Barker, mm -hmm. who wrote a book called Barking Up the Wrong Tree. <laughs> and he talked about, and it was basically dispelling uh, leadership yeah. myths. You know, yes. it's a great right. book and it's such a great interview. And in this, he, he popularizes this concept uh, invented by someone before him yeah. called unfiltered leadership. Mm -hmm. And that I found myself in that, that, you know, Franklin Covey is a fairly conservative filtered company mm -hmm. and I'm a fairly unfiltered leader. And I've You're thrived here. I know, I know. <laughs> to see, the secret's I'm out. Sure, the sure. secret's <laughs> out. She's a board member after yeah. all. Um, but 
I'm listening intently to, you know, be yourself, be you, because it's important for every leader to make sure they're in the right culture. That's right. Because some cultures may not value what your style is. Mm -hmm. And you also have to not have unbridled, you know, passion around personality traits that don't work well in, right. in the environment. Have you had leaders that reported to you who had enormous capability, but it wasn't the right fit and you ever encouraged them to either comply, conform, or perhaps leave the firm and go spread their wings somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For that, absolutely, hundred percent have had that uh, have had that situation before. You know, as as we have thought about performance and performance management, um, you know, there are, you know, we like to talk about a couple of different dimensions. There's the what you do, mm -hmm. and then there's the how you do it, right? And I've run across many, many leaders, as I'm sure you have, that are excellent at the what. They're great executors. They're great operators, but perhaps. They may leave a lot of broken glass. Perhaps they do it in a way that have people feeling really bad, badly about the interactions. Does the right? CEO sit me down here to have a personal counseling session? Oh, no, no, no. This is me. not a performance review. This is not a coaching session, although it can be if yeah. you would like me to do yeah. that. So, um, you, so what I would say is that you, I run into leaders who may be really strong on one of those two dimensions. And yeah. for us, we're looking for those who can deliver on both, right? right? Which are those who can execute and deliver results, but do it in a way that embody character, integrity, collaboration, innovation, and um, saves the culture for the next project. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. But that said, I you know I, I will tell you, Scott, that one of the things for me that I have always found is the hallmark um, of great leaders is that they themselves have a high degree of interpersonal flexibility. Um, what I mean by that is that I always view, view that it is incumbent upon the leader themselves um, to be the one to flex to the situation. Mm. It's incumbent upon the leader to understand you know, with whom they're talking to, whether it's an audience in front of thousands of people, whether it's with a, you know, one of their highly valued clients, whether it's going on a sales call, uh, whether it's in a tough situation with investors, right, or analysts. And so it's really incumbent upon the leader to flex their style, both in terms of communication, but also in terms of content, both in terms of, the, think of that as, the, again, the what and how um, in terms of getting that objective done. And it's insightful because as I listen to you, it's kind of counterintuitive because I would think, mm. and I, I'm in, you know, an uh, executive role in the company, yeah. that the more seasoned you are, the more responsibility they have, mm -hmm. perhaps the more power you have, the more you become entrenched in your style and people sort of have to nimble themselves towards you. But you're kind of suggesting the opposite. Yes. Is that the the more senior you are, yes. the more you have to meet your people where they are. That's right. Your people meaning your clients or whatever. Right, it's that's great, right. Great advice. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. And what I would tell you is that um, great leaders bring out the greatness in others. Sure. Right? And you know, if you were to if you were to read my LinkedIn profile, which I do, uh, I follow you. Yes, you thank have you. A large LinkedIn thank profile. you. Thank you. Not yeah, as large as yours, yeah. but maybe this will help. <laughs> Little. I'll throw, you, I'll throw you a few followers. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I'm please. kidding. I'm grateful yeah. for every follower, and so is. <laughs> yeah. so is yes, as yeah. am as am I. Yeah. But um, you know, great leaders help others find their own greatness, right? Yeah. Which means that you do have to meet people where they are, so that you can help them figure out what is it that they want to accomplish, both in their professional lives and their personal life. I actually um, have this uh, this uh, deep, deep belief that you can't separate your life. You know, one of the things that I mm -hmm. that I talk about is that, you know, we talk, we, we have a misnomer about our personal life and our professional life. And that is not correct because you have one life. It this is a trend I see. Yeah. And, and executives increasingly saying, you have one life. You, have you have to one figure life. out how to balance it and work That's within right. it, but you can't separate them. That's right. And technology actually enables the blending right. of them, doesn't it? Thanks a lot. Yes, yeah. I, re I, I resemble that remark. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. You should write a book. 
Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, I yeah. think there's a book. I mean, I know a bit. I know a thing about books. I can okay. get you a yeah, publisher. Yeah. yeah. So, so secret. Now it's the secret's going to be out. That is on my bucket list. Yeah. Yes. I'd love to. I'd love to help you with that. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I aspire to be on these walls someday. Well, we'll, we'll build some more paneling and put you there. <laughs> so back to authentic leadership. Yes. You have I don't know eight or ten kind of thoughts sure. around that. Four I picked out. Sure. From a positioning paper you share with me. Yes. I'd love to pitch these four to you. Maybe give me two minutes on each, what these mean to you. So Certainly. around your passion around authentic leadership, one is you talk about a popular concept called building on your strengths. Mm -hmm. Dig deeper on that. Yeah. So, um, you know, traditional historic kind of Western company culture is, hey, performance review. In fact, just think about your reaction a moment ago. You're like, hey, is this a performance review yeah. about my performance, aka bad, Yeah. right? Um, that is really a misnomer because what we each uniquely bring to our work environment, to our community environment, to our family and our friends is unique to us, which is our strengths, right? And I think that in order to realize our fullest potential, to be our most authentic selves, we really have to have a lens of what are our strengths? What are the unique things that we diversely bring you know, to the marketplace and embrace those and have those flourish and blossom? Now, that's not to say that you shouldn't go try new things, sure. right? You know, I'm a, I'm a perfect example of, hey, engineer, you know, engineer turned salesperson, mm -hmm. right? Something not, that I would never mm -hmm. have thought in my path. But um, you've got to try new things so that you can continue to find where your strengths are. And be relevant. And be relevant, yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, your second point is surrounding yourself with people who make you better. Yeah. Talk about that. Yep. So one of my mantras is that life is all about relationships and we should seek and foster meaningful ones. Right. And that is something that I have um, worked to live um, in every aspect of my life. And so this aspect of authentic leadership is really about, hey, look, we are we're going to run into people. Right. Not all people are good, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Not all people see our greatness. Not all people we may respect. Not all people we may trust. Right. Some of these may be customers. Some of these may be partners. Some of these may be colleagues. We've got to figure out a way to work through that constructively, but when we have a choice and we can surround ourselves with what I would call our tribe, we want to do so with picking people who make us better, who challenge us in a way that's constructive, uh, that, that is caring, right? that is with high character and integrity, and that's what we need to do. I'm yeah. guessing you're a prolific reader. Uh, I am. Because I, I, I'm getting concepts from books behind me and behind you yeah. that I see you synthesizing some yeah. of these greatest leadership principles and topics mm -hmm. into your daily life, both as a, a wife and a mom and a daughter, but also as a business leader. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I will say, Scott, you know, I don't mean this to be said with great, great, uh, you know, a huge amount of, um, uh, of ego, but a lot of these are also just organically what I've come up with, right? Yeah. So, in fact, uh, you know, I'm I'm reading a book right now, which I will not necessarily name. That I'm reading it, thinking, wow, these are things that I've done throughout my career, and here are they in written work, right? So that's yeah. actually incredibly validating, yeah, yeah. which also kind of fuels that bucket list item of I want to be on the yeah, wall, yeah, maybe someday, yeah. maybe someday. Stand by for the book from Ann Chow, the yeah. publisher, to be announcing it soon. <laughs> Agent Scott Miller. Uh, next is to talk about feeding your curiosity. Yes, talk sure. about that. Yeah, for sure. So, so I think that you know one of the things that, um, and this is something that I've actually drilled into my kids as uh, as a parent. But um, you know, an example that I'll use is okay if you happen to be on a conference call and in a meeting, you naturally tune out in certain parts. Except other, with Bob. Except for I, with Bob. I'm checked I always, in yes, with the chairman, <laughs> and I always listen to Bob too. So, uh, but there are parts where you tune out versus there are parts where you are interested in, right? Yeah, yeah. And this is how you go through your career, go through your life, and. And my view of, in order to go and find and embrace your most authentic self, feed your curiosity, find, you know, uh, follow 
or you're most interested in, right? There's a reason why this particular topic or this particular function, this particular product or author or principle or vertical, right, or industry um, is interesting to you. Follow that, right? If you can follow and feed your curiosity, in my mind, that's where you spark your own greatness and it's actually how innovation is, is, is created, isn't it? And there's really no cap to that. I mean, the resources None. at our tips in our organizations is endless now. It, it is. I mean, the, the, whole, the whole notion, and this is where Frank and Clovey, Covey plays such a critical role in, in the global economy, in my view, right, uh, with business, is um, it's continuous learning now, right? Learning is never done, right? We... In order to live our most fulfilled lives, we will be learning until the bitter end or the sweet end. Yeah. Right? I'd love to see your nightstand. Yeah. How many books are like um, a fourth read on it? Like six. Yes. But then if you were to look at my uh, e-reader, then I have at, going on at any time, you know, a good three to four books. Do you consume books more digitally than you do in print or you balance them both? I balance them both. Yeah. You know, I think uh, for me, it's because I'm on the road so much. Yeah. I, um, I, I love the e-reader because I just don't like the weight. Yeah. of the books, but yeah. I still love the feel of a good, I, I still too. love the feel of a good We're kind book. of the same generation or such. I know, I know, yeah, a I'm, little I'm bit, yeah. 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 Last one, this one's interesting. Yeah. The, uh, your, your points around discovering your sort of authentic leadership style is um, having no ceiling. Mm -hmm. And you talk a little bit about pushing through your own uncertainty and mm -hmm. fear and doubts. Share with us how you've lived that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I started at AT&T 28 and a half years ago, you know, I had a, I was a network architect. Um, you know, I had a, I had a great job. Um, I learned early on, though, that I wanted to get closer to the business. I wanted to get closer to the customers. And so I moved into a P&L role um, as product manager and did a couple of operation shops. My mentors early on told me, you've, in order to really get a feel for the company, and if you aspire to general management, right. you need to go to sales. Now, for yeah. somebody who had no idea what sales was, had no interest in sales. My parents still don't have any idea what sales is or what I How do. How many years into AT&T were you until you moved to sales responsibility? I was a good five years yeah. in. Yeah. So I had progressed quite well in my career, mm -hmm. uh, five, six years in. And I had a hard time getting in. I, I'm not ashamed to say that I failed uh, upwards of six times with trying to get in to get a sales job because nobody would hire me mm. with no sales experience. Um, so... Um, at that point, I was quite determined. Um, you know, I, it was a circuitous route. It was a kind of a curved route to get there. But ultimately, through a set of different other assignments and uh, finding someone who would ultimately take a risk on someone, me. I was going to ask you, someone took a risk on someone you. Someone totally took a risk on me. And um, I have, you know, I found my professional passion, if you will, which has led me um, you know, down this amazing um, career path. And so I am one who absolutely believes that there, there is no ceiling. There's, there's nothing that you can't do if you... If you are willing to put the work in, if you're willing to realize that there's not just one route to point A to point B, um, you know, I'm, I'm, um, you know, I'm proud to share with you that, um, you know, I'm the highest-ranking woman of color in AT&T Communications. Um, I became the first Asian officer um, of AT&T back in the '90s. These were not objectives at all that I set out for myself. Um, had I looked back on it and said, hey, I want to go be that, I probably would have psyched myself out a little bit. Mm. But they were the result of a pretty purposeful um, career with a lot of wonderful leadership support and, and great experiences. But, um, you know, I would have I thought that there was a ceiling, right, until you got to go and break it and redefine it and become a trailblazer. I know you well enough to know that yeah. the pivot point that you experienced with someone taking a risk on you mm. has undoubtedly... Uh, permeated your own leadership style, taking risks on others. Yes. Can you think of, I'm ambushing you a bit, can you think sure. of someone that you took a risk on mm -hmm. and it didn't work out? 
and it didn't work out. Yes, yes. I'll, um, we have a role uh, within our organization um, called the chief of staff role. Mm -hmm. um, and it may not be as meaningful outside of the company. Inside of the company, it's extremely critical. Mm -hmm. um, it is a, a, a role that um, each executive has, right? And the person serves um, serves to help with governance, helps communications, mm -hmm. really serves at the right hand of that particular It's not executive. an administrative role. Um, it has administrative portions to it, it right? So each, each chief of staff executive pairing has a different mix, right? It's completely individualized. Cast a talent right? or, yeah. Right. It, I was one, um, and it, this, this woman actually came after me three times, right? I turned her down twice, and the third time she, um, she, she convinced me to do it, and it was a pivot point in my career positively. And so I've always viewed that role as super critical. Um, there, there was a time, and I like to take risks on people, as was taken on me in that role. Um, I, there, was, there was a time when I, I took a risk on somebody, bringing them in. They had never been... I was an executive, not over just the sales organization. There were other parts of what I had responsibility for. And I brought in a very, very high performer from sales. Um, in fact, a top performer. Hmm. And unfortunately, the fact that he had had absolutely no headquarters or staff experience, hmm. um, it, the, it did not work out. Came from the field. Came from the into field. headquarters, right. Into staff and yeah. headquarters in a high visibility right. role fraught with politics, both, sure, good, and good, both sure. good and bad, right? Just organizational yeah. dynamics, and was just ill-equipped to do that. And since that experience, I perhaps have a little bit over-indexed to wanting to make sure that, I, um, that I'm much more thoughtful about giant functional leaps like that, right? Mm -hmm. I'd rather see maybe two different kinds of roles, maybe not just one type of sales role, but maybe a sales support role before I would bring somebody into uh, such a high-risk yeah, proposition yeah. like that. So I think it really, it, it varies, you know, how risky is it, right? How big is that risk um, versus, you know, how do you think, what's your knowledge of that individual? And of course, we want we want all of them to be successful, right? This is about, you know, finding their own greatness. After all. I find that sometimes, as I listen to your story, that yeah. my overconfidence in someone's ability yes. to rise to a higher level yes. actually misserves them. Yes. That I can transfer my own passion and vision right. of what they could do onto them, right. and through no fault of their own, it wasn't the right path for them. That's right. And sometimes that they end up failing or drowning, and I have responsibility for that. That's I, right. That they didn't fail them, I failed them, because perhaps I led them to a, a, a role that wasn't right for them. Yeah, that is so true. You know, and I, I think you know, one of, another one of my tenets around authentic leadership is make sure you know what success means to you, right? Mm -hmm. Whenever I enter a mentoring relationship, I always warn the person, hey, look, I'm going to be asking you way more questions than you're going to ask me. So if you think you're coming to me for answers, I, mine is not to give them to you. Mine mm -hmm. is to help you find your path simply by getting to know you and supporting you and being a safe sounding board, right? And so what I say to people is, you know, in this whole notion of... So in this path of making sure you know what success means to yourself, this varies, right? I mean, Scott, remember when we were back in our 20s? Right? Uh, yeah, vaguely, vaguely, painful. right? But success mean, meant something very different to us then. Oh, right? definitely, right? yeah. Then, yeah. you know, you're, you're kind of fortunate that you, maybe you find a life partner, mm -hmm. okay? Yeah. Then success means something very different, right. Right? right? Then maybe you have a couple of kids, like right. in my case, right? Yeah. Success means something different, yeah. right? Yeah. At this right at this point in, in, in our careers, 20-some-odd years in, yeah. success means something very, very different. So I always tell um, young professionals to not, you know, you want to have a plan. But don't over plan because it's, you just look at look at technology. Yeah. You cannot predict what right. the world is going to look like, what business is going to look like in five years. What makes you think that you can predict what your career is going to look like? Right. You've got to have some guiding tenets of what you're what you're after. Right. 
And this is the path to find your most authentic self and be your most, most authentic self. You mentioned, Anne, that you're one of the most senior leaders, the most senior female leader in AT&T Communications. Women of color. Women yes. of color, yeah, right. Yeah. And one of the most senior, senior women there as yeah, well. Yeah. What have you experienced along the way yeah. as a female leader? Mm-hmm. Good and bad. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so on on the let's let's maybe maybe let's talk about the bad first, okay. and then we can then we can go to the good. Um, so the bad is we think about even just generationally, right? How business has evolved over these last twenty to thirty years. Again, the nineties. Um, you know, I, I was I was reminded the other day that the nineties was a long time ago. The nineties are like oldies now. Which the eighties were the good years, <laughs> I think. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. I'm you know a child of the eighties and the nineties. Yeah, right. So. Um, Back in the 90s, if you will, gosh, I sound so old when I say this, but in the early days of doing business, I would say in the early part of my career, you know, um, how, you know, how I was treated was very much a function of being a young woman in the workforce, right? Whether that was w- with partners and, mm-hmm. um, or, other, or otherwise, I don't think that it was intentional in many of the cases. It was not necessarily malicious, but there were biases that people had. Right. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, one of my very first large team jobs um, was uh, managing um, a large, uh, geographically dis- uh, spread out workforce um, that was responsible for operations of one of our service lines. And as a result, you know, I was probably half the age of most of the employees mm-hmm. in this. I remember doing a skip level um, session with a group of my technicians, um, and they said, "You know, we know you. We know you're kind. You're Ivy League." you know, whatever, whippersnapper, you're going to be gone in six months, okay? And um, it was clear that they did not want to hear anything that I had to say because they thought that I was in there for a check mark. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I made a bet with them that I would be there years later. I was, by the way. Um, and uh, it was such an interesting journey on, hey, if, if I had been offended by those sets of comments, right, I would not have been um, able to be effective, right? But I think for me, in terms of how I have been treated, I always assume that the intent is innocent. Okay, so did you if, have that maturity at that age to discern that way? Yeah, you know what? For me, it was um, I don't think that I knew that I did. For me, it was more of I find great humor in many things. Um, I have probably have a very high degree of sarcasm, mm-hmm. which you may have seen. Um, and so as a result, I don't take things hugely personally. Mm-hmm. Um, I just look at them as learning moments, mm-hmm. if you will. Um, and so, and, and I also look at them as challenges, right? Hey, if, if this person has a bias about Chinese people, mm-hmm. right, um, what can I do to help broaden their horizon, mm-hmm. right? Um, one of my most, actually, I think this is one of my more recent blogs on uh, on LinkedIn is, they called it Crazy Rich Awesome, right? Which is just kind of comes on the heels and of Crazy Rich Asians. My wife loves this movie in the book. It's amazing, yes. right? Yeah. Uh, hopefully she's read the trilogy. It's a trilogy. So oh, she's to... read a couple of them. Okay. Right, right, right. Yeah. okay. So, um, and one of the things I think Crazy is so- Crazy Rich Awesome is your version? Yes, it's my, blo- it. okay. my blog. I'll it's make my sure blog. I read it. Yeah, is, is the fact that one of the great things about that movie is that it shows Asians in many different lives, right. different personalities, right. different roles. Yes, on a level of earnings that is way right. beyond most right. of us will ever see. But the point is that we saw- Asians in a light that most people don't think of, mm-hmm. right? And I, I, th- I think that's that's the beauty of diversity and inclusion, right? So, um, so I've run into situations like that throughout my throughout my career. You know, just running into barriers where I'll be doing business in a particular country and I'll be the highest ranking person, but I will be assumed to be the lowest ranking person, mm-hmm. right? And be asked to go get the coffee mm-hmm. or tea, yeah, right? Yeah. And so you just have to you have to roll with it, right? I mean, you got to remember what your mission is. You always got to keep the customer at the center. Uh, at the center of everything, and 
you know, to the extent that you can share some learning moments, you should do that in my mind. Now to the, to the good, to the good. Um, I believe that we as a society, we um, as a country, um, we as a, as, a, as a company even, um, there has been so much positive evolution as it relates to um, embracing of uh, women and other communities, if you will, and recognizing that it is not our similarities that make us great, it is actually our differences, right? And when you think about mm. America, right, right, this wonderful country we live in, um, and this is a little bit of the immigrant point of view in me here, is that America has been made who we are because of immigrants, right? We are all outside of less than 2% of the population. Mm. We are all immigrants from some right, era, right? So it is the diversity of this country that creates its hope, that creates its platform okay, for- Okay, forget the book. Yeah. I'm seeing politics. Yeah, no. Sorry. Oh, that, that's I'm a, seeing that's the a no. Senate. That's a Sorry, no. I interrupted that's, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. that's an absolute no. I can say that with <laughs> okay. great right, certainty. Right. That's a no. Okay. But, um, and I think this is, you know, this is really a model that um, when you look at some of the, uh, you know, burgeoning, uh, you know, leadership, uh, you know, philosophy or yeah. thought or practice, diversity and inclusion um, is a strategic, right? It's a, it's a strategic differentiator. It's a strategic imperative, right? You know, we, um, you know, we are society now. None of us are one thing, right? You know, I, um, you know, if you look at me, you say, okay, yes. So she's a woman. She's Asian American. Uh, she's a sales leader. She's a PNL leader. Um, but I'm so many other things, right? You said a, a mom, a former wife, piano uh, player. yeah, right, former pianist, right? None of us are one thing, right? I'm a Gen Xer, right? I'm a proud Gen Xer, yeah. right? So, so this notion of trying to homogenize who we are, um, including career paths, right? Scott, to your earlier example of um, you know some of the mistakes that we make as leaders is, hey, we see that person here, well, yeah. maybe that person doesn't see right. himself there, mm -hmm. right? And we, of course, look at the world with our own lens, right? Which is always a big caveat disclaimer that I give people when I give them career advice, right, is, hey, big caveat, this is purely from my lens, mm -hmm. right? So you just need to know it's biased with my lens, right? Um, and take my perspective for whatever it's worth. Right, so. What advice would you give other women yeah. who are watching today's program? Mm. Uh, this will push to, you know, four or five million people yeah. across the world and growing every week. Sure. What advice would you give to women who are finding inspiration in your journey, your story, mm -hmm. as they move into 2019, mm -hmm. how to manage their brand well as a female leader moving up in their organization or perhaps coming into a new organization? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So so uh, the first thing that I would, uh, first piece of advice that I would give women is um, be be confident and kind to yourself, right? I, I find that having mentored hundreds of women all around the world um, over my career, women are their harshest critics. Um, we have this thing, you know, women, women um, lack a confidence that men lack. I think there is actually physiological um, you yeah. know, differences in terms of how our brains are wired, mm -hmm. right? You know, and we've all heard the, uh, the example of, hey, you know, if two, a man and a woman are looking at a job, there are five skills needed, and they each have four, the man will focus on the four, mm -hmm. the woman will focus on the one she doesn't have, right? And so I would say my number one piece of advice um, to, to women is have confidence in yourself, believe in yourself. Because if you don't believe in yourself, then others others cannot. But that confidence that you have should also be uh, you know, not, not show in a way that has you being so egotistical, right? There are all kinds of other labels that were called when that happens, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. uh, which is a little bit of a double standard. But so I would say focus, make, make sure that you uh, believe in yourself and that you surround yourself with people. This gets to the tribe right, notion that I mentioned right, earlier. Right. That you surround yourself with people that you seek coaches and mentors and friends and sponsors that lift you up, 
that make you better, that push you in a positive way, right? And I'm not, I'm not saying that you should find um, a network of all women, right? Um, you want to surround yourself with people that are different from you, right? That challenge you, that stretch you. Um, and so I think that, that, that immediate circle that you have and those other you know, concentric circles are really critical in terms of your network. So that would be the other thing. Um, and then I, you know, then I would say too, is that you got to understand how people perceive you, right? So if you don't have any sense of that, mm -hmm. this is actually true for men and women, right? right? right. There's all kinds of 360 feedback. You got to mm -hmm. ask the question, mm -hmm. right? Because very oftentimes, I mean, this is very true with clients, right? Perception is reality, right? And your reality right. is not the reality or perception. Right. Facts right? notwithstanding. Yes, yeah. right. Absolutely, right. And so we live in a world now, again, largely enabled by technology and heavily influenced by media, where perceptions entirely matter, right? So really understanding how your brand is shaped, right? That you actually, I mean, companies are dealing with this now, right? Companies can no longer control the message about what their brand is about. Why do we as individuals think we can do the same about ourselves, right? Every one of us has a digital footprint, whether we like it or not, right? Every one of us has a reputation, whether we like it or not. It's incumbent upon us Accidental to Accidental or deliberate. Right, right, right. A little bit of both, right. right? And so it's incumbent upon each of us to understand what that is and help to shape it and influence, which is really the best that we can do. Same question, different gender. Yeah. What advice would you give to men yeah. watching today's program who may be unconsciously incompetent yes. or biased or, or, or interested yeah. in playing a role in yes. helping yes. women in leadership? What yes. advice would you give to me and my male colleagues out there. Yeah, no, it's a great question. And um, I don't know if I would call it incompetence. Um, it's it's unconscious Unconscious, yes. <laughs> right, right. So, but I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. So there, there are actually three things that I would, that I, that I would um, give um, advice to in terms of um, um, the men out there. Um, and I want to first say that I would not be where I am today without a slew of male allies, right? I can think about, you know, a, a bunch of my best bosses out there mm. have been men. Um, many of my champions have been men, right? Some of the, my closest friends and colleagues mm -hmm. are men, okay? Mm -hmm. So this is about us together, us elevating them. it, right? Yeah. It's us together right. elevating the whole. So the first thing that I would say uh, to the male allies out there or the aspiring male allies out there is confront your unconscious biases, yeah. okay? We all have them. It's totally normal. And until we surface them, we will not be able to work through them. I'll give you a perfect example. Um, a couple of years ago, I was hoping uh, hosting a set of clients and was sitting with a group of CIOs. Um, some were men, some were women. And I was uh, sitting next to one of the gentlemen who was quite a contemporary. So, um, you know, our generation, I would say, Scott. Um, and um, he, we were talking about employees and development of employees. He also had a wife and daughters. Okay, that came up in the conversation. And he said to me, you know, I've, I've hired many amazing men and women in my career but then, uh, but then the women go out and they have they get married and they have babies. Mm -hmm. mm. This was actually said at a business mm. meeting, right? And so, my first thought in my head was, did he just say that? My second thought was to probe and to really understand that, right? Mm. And I said, well, blank name. I use his name, not a explicit. Right, right, right. Um, <laughs> so explain to me why is it that when women get married and when women bear the children, they are less amazing than the men who may be in the same position, right? Who decide to have families mm -hmm. and whatnot. And his paradigm, his unconscious bias was, well, when women do that, they have to leave early, they have to go take care of the kids, they're not as dedicated, et cetera, et cetera, right? And I was quick to point out to him, well, you know, again, I use his name, I said, you know, well, 
do you not believe that part of the reason for that is that the women are actually telling you that's what they're doing, as opposed to the men who all have, many of them have the same pressure, right? They just may not announce that the reason why they have to leave is to go to a soccer game, right? And so his, his unconscious bias was there was something in the dynamic, right, that he was seeing with his women employees that he felt differently than the men, right? But without talking about it, we might never surface it, right? How did Which he respond mean, to your, your context um, for that? He, he listened with great interest. There were also other women executives around the table who mm -hmm. amply chimed in. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that it was a learning moment for him, mm -hmm. right? It was a learning moment for him. Mm -hmm. um, and again, this is not just, I'm not talking just men have, we all have a conscious bias, course, all humans course. do, right? So I would say that's number one, is work to surface your unconscious mm -hmm. bias. If you're wondering really, how- It really is challenging your paradigms that are entrenched. Exactly. That may have been relevant may not have been relevant previously, and really just show the self-awareness to ask yourself, am I seeing the situation accurately? Right, and the only way you can do that, because let's face it, if you surround yourself with the same people that have always been around you, yeah. you will not surface it. Right. The way to do that is to surround yourself with different people, with different perspectives, who can help you surface that. Dr. Covey was quoted amongst thousands of quotes as saying, we see it differently. How wonderful. Yes. He believed that, right? Yes, absolutely, 100%, yeah. okay. So that's one thing. The second thing is, um, is a, more about this tribe, right? So one of the things that I'm so proud of, of my company and doing is that I believe that we are world-class as it relates to employee resource groups and employee networks. We actually have a dozen of each. Uh, they are organized around many different constituents. There are several different groups around women, the women of AT&T. Um, I'm the executive sponsor of the women of business, as an example. I'm the executive sponsor of the HAPAC women's organization. We have you know, groups focused on the veterans, mm -hmm. on... Um, uh, you know, the, the native population, uh, et cetera, okay? So um, I think it's important for any leader to support those communities and to support the gathering, if you will, of, of, of that tribe and that constituent group, right? If organizations don't exist, work to enable them. If they already exist, join them. I mean, this is one of the greatest misnomers is, hey, a woman's organization, you have to be a woman. Oh, for heaven's sake, no, hmm. right? Um, you know, I've, I've uh, mentored many men who say the best mentoring they've ever gotten have been through our women's networks, hmm. right? And so this gets to broadening your perspective and broadening yeah. your network beyond that which your normal well, activities would take you. also speaks to your earlier you. point around, you know, looking at the ceilings that you're creating for yourself. Yes, that's you're, right. Yeah, I, I see lots of ties back to your congruence on your own thoughts around authentic leadership. Yes, is, for sure. Are you putting some own ceilings in that don't really exist? Yes, for sure. I was yeah. um, I, I was fortunate enough to be able to be invited to one of my longtime clients, um, lovely, lovely CEO, um, and he wanted his his organization was just starting a women's network, and he wanted you know to find somebody who was very passionate about this topic, and so he and I had uh, you know have a great relationship over the years. So I went and spoke to them about it, right, and. Um, his role as the champion of that women's network is priceless, right? Because that group of women knows, right, as well as the male allies, right, and they have men who are part of that organization as part of their grassroots movement. They know that the CEO is committed to this. He knows that it's a great opportunity. He knows that there's a need. And um, they're going to continue to do great things, mm -hmm. right? So every, every organization has that opportunity, whether it's to uh, structurally organized or informally organized. If and if they don't, to. think of creating it. Yes, think of creating yeah, it, right? Yeah. If there's the, you know, if there's the need, I mean, I'll, you know, I'll speak to all the women out there. If if your organization lacks this, start it, right? You yeah. only need a couple of people to start it, right? Yeah. And with technology these days, again, you can create a community that's global in nature, um, and it will it will go right. Find a couple of sponsors, which which I know you can find, 
and it'll go. And the third and last thing that I would say to the male allies out there would be, um, and this is a little bit, this is a little bit tactical, but I want to get tactical sure. and, and less less ethereal about this. Is right. So I've already said, focus on yourself, focus on the community, and then I would ask a call to action for every um, gentleman out there who wants to be a very very proactive uh, male ally. Um, sponsor two more women. Use each of your hands. Reach aside, reach back, reach forward, and pull a mm. couple women up. So. Um, think about your hiring slates. The next job that you go look for and you put together a candidate slate, how many women are on there? If there are none or if there are less than 50%, ask yourself why. Put some women's names on there that maybe are not quite ready now, but you think they could be ready and commit to supporting their careers, right? Personally and professionally. And that is a joy um, that is like no other when you can really help people to find their greatest greatness and fulfill their greatest potential. So I would ask very much every guy out there to lift up at least two. Of course, I would like to ask you each for 200, but I'll start with two. Okay. Right, you, right, most everybody has two hands. Challenge so, taken. Yes. I'm so thinking of two, two in my head right now. Two, right. Two yeah. whom you don't yeah. currently support. Oh. Right. Don't okay. currently okay. support. Well, I challenge my list then. Right. Okay. So, right. You have your existing list because it's the most comfortable and knowledgeable yeah. to you. Yeah. So find two more. I think you have one behind the camera over there right now. Okay, I'll excellent. Talk to you after set. I'll think of my other one. Excellent. Last question. Yeah. Uh, as I think of AT and T, mm. I'm a customer, Thank but you. I think of this just you know global multi billion dollar kind of faceless company, mm. which you've been there almost 29 years. Evangelize why you love AT and T so much. Yeah. So AT and T really, AT and T sits at the nexus of what my passions are, right? Which are technology and people, right? So we are a modern media company. Uh, we are redefining a new category, which is telecom, media, and technology. When you look at the broad spectrum of our assets, uh, most people might know us for our networking capability, right? right? So right. you as a consumer, whether right. it's your um, you know, your uh, landline service, if you will, mm -hmm. in your house, if nope. you still have it, no. or if you've gone all mobile, yeah. right? Uh, but you think about your 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 broad your, your broadband or yeah. you know high speed internet all of this right. kind of thing right so uh, but we also serve businesses all around the world right from the global multinationals to small businesses of all kinds so we serve um, every industry and technology today is such that every business is a technology business whether they like it or not mm. right so it can be a great enabler or a great disabler depending on how you think about it and if you think about some of the greatest innovations which have occurred they have occurred because of communication, they have occurred because of technology, they have occurred because of people. And so as we seek to provide the world's best customer experiences um, around media and entertainment and communications, um, this is why I say the company has never stood still. You know, it has never mm -hmm. stood still. It has never, ever been boring in all 16 thus far of my jobs. Sure, there are days when I've been frustrated. There have been days, you know, I yeah, was even on the brink of leaving the company, mm -hmm. if you will. Yeah. Uh, that's a topic for a different. We've all been there. Yeah, yeah. we've all been there, yeah. right? We're just human. Yeah. Um, but it has never, ever been boring, and I am constantly learning. And I love the people. I love, uh, love, I love working in the marketplace. I think it's a great culture too. Yeah, and I, you yeah. know what? The culture has evolved hugely, yeah. the, and I love the opportunity to be part of that culture and change the culture and yeah. continually transform it. Dan, such an honor. I could listen to you for hours. Oh, thank you. And thank you for coming to On Leadership. It's my pleasure. So glad you joined us. We've been talking with the future best-selling author, <laughs> Ann Chow, from her literary agent, Scott Miller. So glad you joined us. Thank, thank you. you. We hope you had a great time listening to Ann's thoughts on authentic leadership and how men and women can help each other out on their journey up in the organization. And if you're interested, make sure you subscribe to this On Leadership newsletter, the fastest growing and now largest leadership newsletter in the world. 
by visiting franklincovey.com. It comes out every Tuesday, complimentary via email. Sign up everybody in your organization. You also can consume it on every podcast channel as well. iTunes at Franklin Covey. It's both consumable in email and on podcast. Hope you enjoyed our time today, and we'll see you next week back here on Leadership.